Coming again to Acts chapter 2, last week we arrived at the result of Peter's preaching. So we're on the day of Pentecost. Um, we had a, I, I had a wonderful time in Sunday school this morning looking at the work of the Holy Spirit as it's presented in, in the Baptist Confession. Um, and we come back to that day of the Spirit and the Spirit's work in the kingdom. And, and the risen Christ and King sending the Spirit out, pouring him out upon us. What a, what a blessing, what a wonderful thing. Last week we came to the result of Peter's preaching on that day of Pentecost. It says in verse 41, So then those who had received this, or his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. So what's happened is the Jews have received Peter's word as the word of God. That's how they've received it. Not as the word of man, but the word of God. And they've done that because God, on his part, has in the fullness of time sent that word to them. He has brought that word to them and effectually worked that word in them by the Spirit. The word and the Spirit. On the human side, they received his word with meekness. And we are called to receive the word with meekness and with great joy. On the divine side, we see that Jesus is the one acting. We're we're receiving, but Jesus is the one acting as the one God has made both Lord and Christ is adding now 3,000 souls to his messianic end times eschatological people. So the people were witnessing the end. That's what they were seeing. After thousands of years, the people are witnessing the end, the culmination, the fulfillment already, not yet, of all God had promised, of all of his redemptive purposes. And it's because the people knew what they were witnessing, they knew what they were seeing, that Luke says, fear filled or came upon every soul. They were filled with this this fear, this trembling awe, because they were realized that the last days had come. And now they were living in those days. As the centuries have gone on, I think we've lost a sense of that fear, of that trembling awe at the last days in which we live, that we live in the days of fulfillment. But it's because the people grasped that, that Luke can go on to tell us in verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. We talked last week. If we don't have that sense of fear and trembling awe that we're living in the last days, we're going to be tempted not to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. So we have to put these things together. What Luke means for us to see then is this connection, this connection between, on the one hand, the salvation historical reality of what they were seeing and experiencing. And on the other hand, the things to which they were now continually devoting themselves. I get this, so then I'm going to do this. If we don't get this, how likely are we to be really doing this? 
we'll explore that in a minute. But the first thing Luke mentions is the teaching of the apostles. What does the, what does the teaching of the apostles have to do with the end? The last days. Well, it's the apostles who have delivered to us all that Jesus said to them as our eschatological lawgiver, the one greater than Moses. Okay? It's the end times. The apostles tell us what our end times lawgiver has told us, Jesus Christ. It's the apostles who have revealed to us through the word of Jesus all the new realities of living together in Messiah's kingdom. So therefore, as the eschatological people that you are, okay, do you get that? I'm not just saying that, but I mean, you, you, you are an eschatological people. As that people, you are to be earnestly, and we are to be earnestly, faithfully attending upon these times. Not just getting here every week, that's not it, but but getting here and earnestly attending upon these times, receiving the word that is preached to us, not as the word of men, certainly not as the word of Timothy, and not even just as the word of Luke or the word of Peter, but as the word of God. With meekness, are you characterized at this moment with meekness? And with joy, are you characterized at this moment with, the, with this reality of, ah, oh, I'm living as an eschatological people in the last days, now hearing the word of God come to me. This is the reality to which we're to be devoted continually. In fact, this is to be one of our defining marks. What is, it, what is the mark of the end times community that we are? It is devotion to the teaching of the apostles. As those who are even now, we are participants in, remember, the final drama of redemptive history. That's, that's the picture. So, now Luke continues in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. We looked at that last week. And now this week we look at, and to the fellowship. And we will also look at the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that will be right at the end. So let me ask you this question. Now you, I bet... I'm, I'm hoping you're excited about this now yourself. What is the connection between, on the one hand, we get the days we're living in, okay? The salvation historical reality that we're experiencing. What's the connection between that and, on the other hand, the fellowship to which they were what? Continually devoting themselves. Well, it is important for us to see, first of all, that while the activity of the people is assumed, insofar as they were continually devoting themselves to the fellowship. So I'm doing something because I'm continually devoting myself to the fellowship. Yet, the fellowship itself is not an activity of the people. It is an already, in your handout, accomplished fact. So when they were devoting themselves to the fellowship, they were devoting themselves to this thing that already was, that is. That's important. So just like the teaching of the apostles, we have to hear this reference to 
the fellowship in its redemptive historical, and I'm going to bravely give you the blank, eschatological. If we can, now if we can even learn to spell the word, that'll be great, right? So eschatological context. When you hear the word the fellowship, we hear, the, we hear fellowship and, and right, we just think the potluck afterwards. We think of, uh, we think of maybe um, a committee, right? And that's good, and I'm really grateful for our fellowship committee. We have, but we have a lot of ideas of fellowship that aren't quite eschatological, right? So when you think of the fellowship committee, do you think eschatological, right? No, probably not. But we need to be able to, or at least we need to think of fellowship more biblically. The noun, so not a verb, the noun koinonia, fellowship, um, appears only one time in the Old Testament. And it refers there to the very mundane reality of someone being in, something being entrusted to someone else or left in someone else's care. And then if they don't take care of it, then there's a law court that comes about and you've got to take care of it. So one time in the Old Testament, and in that single one use of the word fellowship in the law and the prophets, there's no hint of the weight of meaning that that word has come to have in the apostolic writings. The apostles are the eschatological age, the end times. Especially in the writings of Paul. Therefore, let me say it again. We must hear the reference to the fellowship in a distinctively eschatological end times context, or we will not understand it. When we hear the word fellowship, we often think of fellowshipping. And when we think of fellowshipping, we often think of talking to each other. And spending time with each other. But just very frankly, that is not at all the meaning of the Greek word fellowship, koinonia. Now, I'm not saying it excludes that, but it's certainly not the meaning of it. Even when the noun fellowship has a more active or verbal sense, like doing fellowship, it never refers to conversing, talking, spending time with one another, but rather, interestingly... It always refers to material or financial sharing with others who are in Messiah's kingdom. So when you hear, when you hear, when fellowship is a verbal idea, even when it's a noun, it's verbal, it's not talking about, oh, let's get together and talk and spend time together. It's talking about uh, supporting Paul in the ministry or sending money to poor Christians in Jerusalem. Um, That's what it's talking about. So let's look at some examples of this. And this might already tell you, well, what is fellowship? What is fellowship if, if fellowship is, is sending money to someone? Right? Romans 15. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make, there's the verbal idea because there's a verb there, to do, to make a contribution for the poor. Literally, we could translate, They have been pleased to do fellowship toward the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And then it uses the word again, but now it's the actual verb. For if the Gentiles have fellowshiped, 
in the Jews' spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Okay, now watch that. That that takes a little bit to look at, but let's unpack it for a minute. Do you see that there's a vertical and there's a horizontal thing going on in those verses? So first of all, on the one hand, the Gentiles have fellowshipped in the Jews' spiritual things. So they have fellowshipped in spiritual things. That's a vertical fellowship. It's a, it's a share, a participation. I am sharing in, I am participating in the things of the Spirit. On the other hand, the fact that this is a fellowship in the Jews' spiritual things, the Gentiles are sharing in the Jews' spiritual things, tells us that this vertical fellowship results in a kind of horizontal fellowship. Because now the Gentiles are sharing with the Jews in the same spiritual things. There is the fellowship. What we have then, we could put it like this. What we have is a a common sharing in. A communal, here's, we are, I'm not thinking of communism when I say the word communal, it sounds so much, but we are, we are, we have the communal uh, um, participation in the things of the Spirit. Fellowship. It's because of this common sharing in or fellowshipping in the things of the Spirit, so far we've not done anything. That's just the way it is. That Paul can then speak of this horizontal activity of doing fellowship toward the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So the Gentiles living in Macedonia, like hundreds and I don't know how many thousands probably of miles away, right? They are, they are now doing the fellowship toward the believers way away that they'll never even meet. They're never going to talk to these Christians in Jerusalem. But they're doing fellowship toward them. Because whether they've met them and talked to them or not, they have a common share with them in the same spiritual things. Perhaps we could say then that the basic meaning of koinonia in its eschatological context Okay, because koinonia didn't mean all this in the Old Testament. It is to have a share in your handout in something or someone, to participate in something, namely the kingdom, or someone, namely Christ. But let me ask you, what happens when two or more people have a common share or mutual participation in the same spiritual things? Well, their fellowship in those spiritual things then creates a new and a true fellowship between them. Not something that they do. This is not a fellowship they do. It's a fellowship that is. Okay. It's a fellowship that is, that we have, that exists. I cannot say that I have a participation in Christ without recognizing that I participate and have a common share in him with others. So perhaps we could add then, um, well, 
their fellowship in those spiritual things creates a fellowship between them so that now when they share materially with each other, whether they meet each other, talk to each other or not, it can be said they are doing the fellowship toward one another. They're doing the fellowship. Now we could add that koinonia or fellowship means not only to share in someone or something, to fellowship in Christ, but it means to fellowship with others, along with others in Christ. So Paul writes to the Philippians, chapter 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, because of your fellowship with reference to the gospel. What does he mean by that? From the first day until now, and you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church fellowshipped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. So we see in these verses that by fellowshipping with Paul, in the matter of giving and receiving, that's horizontal, the Philippians were living out the reality of their common share in their mutual, their mutually participating in, with Paul, the gospel itself. They participated in the gospel. So fellowship is, first of all, vertical, which then creates something horizontal, automatically, guaranteed, happens. It's a fact. Therefore, in your handout, New Testament biblical fellowship is, in your handout, first, a participation or share. When you think of fellowship, think a share in something, a share in the kingdom, in Christ. And then, by virtue of this common sharing, this participation in Christ and his kingdom, a real horizontal fellowship is it just is it's there it is even to the point that i may now do the fellowship to you and you may now do the fellowship to me so if you give a gift a financial gift to someone that's fellowship that's doing the fellowship if you go over and Shovel an elderly person's driveway in the church because they can't get out and do it. That's, that's doing the fellowship. You never have to talk to them. You never even have to be in their presence. And you're doing the fellowship. Paul writes in Second Corinthians, now I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to it, right? There's, there's that. You can do the fellowship that way too. But Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter 8. Because some of us, yeah. 2 Corinthians 8, he says, The churches of Macedonia were begging us with great earnestness for, listen to this, brothers and sisters, listen to the phrase. Try to make sense of it. Don't just make sense of it. Try to see the beauty of it. The blessing of the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. Now, I'm translating these things very literally. If you read in your other translations, it, 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 it glosses it. It gives you the meaning. But I want us to see the word fellowship. In its context, what is the what is what would you say is the fellowship of the ministry to the saints? Does this mean that I'm just joining in an activity of giving? No. Koinonia is too rich to mean just that. 
So what the Macedonian Christians were asking for was, Paul, Paul, give us this privilege. We want this privilege, please. Let us have the privilege of experiencing and living out our common share in Christ himself. What they said is, we have a common share in Christ. Now, Paul, we want to experience that common share in Christ. Let us contribute to the offering, right? Let us contribute to the giving. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, because of the proven character given by this ministry of financial giving, they who have received your gifts will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity of the fellowship toward them and toward all. Now, are you surprised by this? I mean, I'm pretty much looking. That fellowship appears 19 times in the New Testament. A good, a good number of them all have to do with giving money to people. What is the meaning of this generous fellowship toward other Christians? It's not just giving money. To exercise this fellowship to you or to me is simply to live out experientially. It's to experience what I have. It's to live out my common share with you in Jesus. So the author of Hebrews exhorts his readers, and do not neglect the doing of good and fellowship, or and sharing as we see in most of our translations. And there's a good reason that they say sharing. Because what are you going to think if you think, and do not neglect the doing of good and fellowship? You're going to think, don't neglect doing good and getting together at the potluck after church. So, So they can't translate the fellowship. But here when we're preaching, I can tell you that that's the word. Okay. Do not neglect the doing of good and fellowship. And he's talking about sharing financial resources with one another. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. Fellowship is too rich a word, though, to mean just sharing. Even sharing isn't enough. This is one of those words where there's just no English word good enough. Underlying this sharing this fellowship with one another in material goods is the deeper meaning of sharing in spiritual goods, in spiritual realities. And it's in your handout, it's the deeper meaning of fellowship in its eschatological context, our sharing in Jesus. We continue to see the same thing in places where Paul uses the verb. Those were all nouns. Now we come to the verb. Romans 12, two examples. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in affliction, being devoted to prayer, fellowshipping in the needs of the saints. Now just just stop and just think. Listen to the phrase. Fellowshipping in the needs of the saints. Right? Why does he, why does he say it like that? He, the, our translations say sharing in the needs of the saints. And that's good, but we need to know that it's koinonia. Fellowshipping in the needs of the saints. Well, what does that mean? Well, certainly it means giving materially to meet those needs. You don't just like, I'm fellowshipping in the needs of the saints. I'm just thinking about them. So I'm fellowshipping in them. No, you fellowship in them by giving to meet those needs. But to fellowship in those needs is not just giving to meet them. It assumes that your giving 
is your living out experientially your common fellowship in Jesus. That I have fellowshiped in Jesus with you, and now we have this thing going on. And because we have this in common, I share in your needs. That's, that's, this is the beauty of that word. And it's why Paul uses it so much for this sharing in material resources. We assume the same reality then when Paul writes in Galatians. The one who is instructed in the word is to share, and the word is he is to fellowship in all good things with the one who instructs him. Do you see the horizontal fellowship here? Because the Christians in Galatia and between them and their teachers, right? And this fellowship between the Christians and their teachers consists in them supporting their teachers financially. So there's, there's a doing the fellowship. But this fellowship is only in your handout possible because, like, just because you give money doesn't mean you have fellowship going on, right? That giving money is the expression of the vertical fellowship that you have in common with each other, with Jesus. So far, we've been looking at the places where fellowship refers to this active, horizontal thing of material giving and showing that that always has in mind the vertical fellowship I have with Jesus, with you. Now we're going to look at places where the emphasis is not on anything that we do, like giving to the poor or supporting our teachers or supporting church planters, but rather on something already done, finished, accomplished. We don't have anything to do with. We don't do it at all. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, God is faithful, through whom you, all of you together, plural, were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm going to ask you the question, and you can think about it. What is the fellowship of his Son? What is the fellowship of his Son? You were called into it. Do you want to know what you were called into? Right? What is that then? Is, is, it, is it the horizontal fellowship that his son has created among us? The fellowship of his son. The, the fellowship that Jesus creates among us, between us. Or is it the vertical fellowship we have with Jesus? We have been called into fellowship with his son. Is it that? Or is it both? Is it our mutual together, our common participation together in the life of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord? That's the fellowship that I have with him that then I share with you. That fellowship with him is something I share in common with you. And so what do I have with you? Fellowship. It's there. Perhaps we could speak in your handout of the fellowship we have with one another in him or in him. With one another. Whatever the case may be, the fact that we've all been called into fellowship with Christ means that we now share this life in common with each other. And whatever fellowship we have with one another can only exist if it's grounded in the fellowship I have with Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 8. I count all things to be lost, Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of 
his sufferings being conformed to his death. What an interesting phrase. What is the fellowship of his sufferings? What is that? Underlying it is the assumption, fellowship, that all Christians share in common in these sufferings. There's the fellowship of his sufferings. We all share in those sufferings because we all bear the name of Jesus. Because we all share in Christ. Therefore, here's something crazy that happens. Okay, watch this. Our common experience of suffering, when I suffer, and I know these are the same sufferings that you share in because they're the sufferings of Jesus. When I suffer then, it's an experience of the fellowship that I have with you. Suffering is an experience of the fellowship. Because it's, first of all, a sharing, a fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Therefore, since you also fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, when I suffer, it is an experience of the fellowship that I have with you. Suffering is fellowship. Giving is doing the fellowship. Only in this eschatological context of the kingdom could Paul speak of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings? The fellowship of sufferings. Have you known that? Even in sufferings, have you known fellowship, right? The fellowship with Christ and with one another. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any Fellowship of the Spirit. Now just appreciate for a moment, these are phrases you would never find in the Old Testament, ever, anywhere. They're only in the New. Because they were only made possible by the New, by Christ. A fellowship of the Spirit. If any affection and compassion fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, thinking on one purpose. So I'll ask you now, what's the fellowship of the Spirit? What is it? Is it the fellowship the Spirit created among us? Or is it the fellowship we have with the Spirit? Or is it both? How does the Spirit create the fellowship among us? By giving all of us of himself so that we share in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And finally, Paul writes in Philemon, I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus, that's vertical, and the faith that is then lived out toward all the saints, that's horizontal. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. So you have the fellowship of your faith. It exists. It's there. But it must become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. And so Paul's prayer for Philemon, how how is the fellowship of his faith going to become effective? By welcoming Onesimus back as as a beloved brother. Right? His runaway slave who's now coming back to him as a, as a believer. And Paul is saying, I want the fellowship of your faith 
to become to be made effective as you welcome Onesimus back as your slave now, but more than as a slave, as a beloved brother. The point there again is not that they're going to sit down and have a meal together, may very well happen, or that they're going to have so much conversation together, likely it's going to happen now as brothers in Christ, but more that Onesimus is going to recognize and live out the fellowship that exists already that they have together. So, Paul is thinking here of the believer's mutual participation in a common faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying to Philemon. This slave that ran away, he now has a a share in the same faith in which you share. What has this created between you? And how are you going to make that reality effective in your life? It's our fellowship vertically results in the powerful fact of our fellowship among us. And it's this already accomplished fact that Paul prays would become effective in your handout. The Apostle John, for our last reference with respect to these things, and we've touched on most all of them, brings together the vertical, which is primary, and the horizontal, which is secondary. So when you think of eschatological fellowship, what are you going to think first of? Are you going to think first of my fellowship with you and your fellowship with each other? No, don't do that. Don't do that. Think first of, your, of the share you have in Jesus. That's fellowship. That's the, that's the ground of fellowship. That is the true fellowship. And it's because you share in Jesus and I share in Jesus because you have a fellowship in the Spirit and I have a fellowship in the Spirit and in the Gospel that then, that then we share together in those things and that reality is established and created and exists and that we can now do to one another. First John 1. What we have seen and heard concerning the word of life we proclaim to you also so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. See, he's going back to the more ultimate fellowship, the one that makes the other fellowship possible. And our fellowship is with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and he's not talking about praying. We don't, I don't have fellowship just when I'm praying. I have fellowship because it's been created as a fact. I'm in him. He's in me. I have a share in Christ. Christ indwells me. Well then, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have, what does he say? He doesn't say, well, if we do that, then we do have fellowship with him. No, he says, oh, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so now remember that this, just this single use of the word fellowship in the, the law and the prophets, one time, there's no hint of the weight of meaning that we have seen it has now in Paul and Peter and John. We didn't quote Peter, but it's there too. So in the New Testament, in your handout, this word fellowship, oh, it is invested. It is filled up 
with new redemptive historical meaning. It's almost as if the word, though we spell it the same way, and we pronounce it the same way, as it was before Christ, but now, after Christ, it's like an entirely new and different word. It's a word that didn't exist before in any human language. Which is why Paul can now speak of things like the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, and the fellowship of our faith. You see, when Luke writes here in Acts chapter 2 of the fellowship, he is speaking of something that did not exist before Jesus. It is something brand new. We see then why in your handout. Why those whom Christ has just added to his end times eschatological people, remember, we're an eschatological people, why are these people now so zealously devoting themselves, not just to the teaching of the apostles, but to the fellowship? Why are they doing that? Because they get it. Because they see the times in which they're living and they understand that the fellowship, that this thing that's been created is something that never existed before. And it's here now. And they are partakers of it. The fellowship in Luke is that end times fact of having come to share with one another in Christ. Insofar as we have come to share with one another in the Holy Spirit of God. Now then the question is, that's, that's, we have to get that. Now I'm just asking you to see it. I'm, I'm praying that I see it. This brand new reality didn't exist before Christ. It's here now. It's here to stay. But how are they continually devoting themselves to that? Now you might say, well, I wish we would have maybe spent a lot longer on how to devote myself to that. The challenge for us, though, is that we won't really get around to devoting ourselves to it if we haven't seen the beauty of what it is. And so, my prayer for us is that as we've looked at each one of these passages and seen this reality, that as we see the beauty of what it is, we will be, it'll be easy to devote ourselves to it. Now, we've already seen ways to do it. You can devote yourselves to the fellowship by by giving to meet needs, uh, by sharing, by supporting missionaries. By supporting a missionary, you're devoting yourself to the fellowship, right? Because why do you do that? Because you and the missionary have a common share in Jesus. Um, By suffering, by being willing to suffer, you're devoting yourselves to the fellowship and experiencing the fellowship. Um, But 
But Luke's point here, and we're going to get to that later in Luke, but I don't believe that's his main point here. I think Luke's point here is that they devoted themselves continually to the fellowship in two specific ways. And these next two ways, things that they were continually devoting themselves to. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then it's like he goes on and says, and and unpacks the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. I believe the breaking of bread here is not just any fellowship meal, which there's strong arguments for that from many commentators, but I believe it refers to the Lord's Supper. And there's reasons why. But the Lord's Supper, we remembered last week, this supper that we're about to eat of together as as a people, this meal is an eschatological meal. What do I mean by eschatological meal? I mean it didn't exist before Jesus. This meal did not exist before Jesus. Couldn't happen. It could only exist after him. So listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was being betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. There's the breaking of the bread. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Never before could they do something in remembrance of Jesus. But we can. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant eschatological in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me this is our new covenant lawgiver brothers and sisters do you see it all put together the new covenant lawgiver jesus giving us this this eschatological new covenant meal through the apostles for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the death of the lord until he comes. This is entirely eschatological. And only an eschatological people can partake of it. Not only, though, is this meal an eschatological meal, it's also the sign of our fellowship that we have in Christ our mutual participation in Christ. It's the sign of, in your handout, our fellowship with one another, horizontal, in Christ. Do you see both the horizontal and the vertical in this meal? So listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Is not the cup of blessing which we are about to, to drink of together, is not this cup which we bless a fellowship of the blood of Christ? That's what it says in the Greek. Isn't this cup here a fellowship of the blood of Christ? Or a sharing together in the blood of Christ? Is not this bread which we break a fellowship of the body of Christ? Or a sharing together in the, the body of Christ? Since there is one bread that we all share in together, we who are many are one body, that is, the fellowship. For all partake of the one bread. There's the fellowship. 
How were they devoting themselves continually to the fellowship? Well, by continually devoting themselves to the breaking of the bread. As the eschatological people we are. If you get that, then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, now I ought to be continuously devoting myself to this meal, to this cup of blessing which we bless, and this bread which we break. Like, why do I get here Sunday morning every week? Because there's a meal we're having, okay? If I miss Sunday, I'm missing the meal. And I don't miss the meal, right? So this is, this is why. It's not, about, I don't, it's not about the numbers here on a Sunday. It's about why do I get here every single Sunday? Because I know they're having this meal. And I don't miss that meal. Because I am, I am devoting myself continually to that meal, to the breaking of the bread. Because in doing that, I devote myself to the fellowship that the messianic risen king and lord has created. We ought to then be faithfully, earnestly attending to this sign of that fellowship we have now with one another in Christ. What about the prayers? Luke says they were continually devoting themselves to the prayers. Now, I'm, I think you could start to do the work yourself now. You've all got it, right? You look at the prayers and watch the first things you start thinking. Okay, well, the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread are all eschatological realities. I have to understand those things, all three of those things, in the light of the day in which I live. Okay? So what about the prayers? I mean, it's just like the prayers. Boring. No. They almost, cert- well, they must be seen in, their, in your handout, eschatological context. They almost certainly refer, I would say certainly, not just to the Jewish prayers at the temple. In the very next chapter, Peter is going to be going up to the temple at the hour of prayer to pray at the temple. But this refers not just to the Jewish prayers at the temple. What are the prayers now? What are they now in this day? They are the believers calling upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Christ. That no one did before. And now they are offering up prayers to the Father in Jesus' name, the Messiah and King. So remember what Jesus said to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He said, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, now that's new, that's eschatological, that's fulfillment, he will give it to you. Look what he says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made complete. What kind of joy? This eschatological joy, this joy of the spirit, this joy of the kingdom. On that day, you will ask, you will pray in my name. These, the prayers are just as eschatological in nature as the meal, as the Lord's Supper. And what do we do when we gather here? We pray. When he refers to the prayers, The point is not so much just you praying at home, though we should. The point is the prayers in the worship of God's gathered people. It's why we have so many times of prayer throughout the service. It's why I encourage those who are praying to 
to, to pray, to prepare, to, to lead us in the prayers that are eschatological in nature. And just like the Lord's Supper, the prayers are not only eschatological, they're a sign of our mutual participation and fellowship in Christ. When we come to the throne of God together, it is a doing of the fellowship. When we pray here, it is a doing of the fellowship. This is so because it's the whole congregation that participates together in the prayers with the congregational amen. Now, I know we don't say amen after each prayer. might not be a bad thing to do. Paul, when he said in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, you've got to speak in a language everyone knows so that everyone knows to say amen when the prayer is over. So apparently that's what they did. We don't do it, but they did. Paul assumed that people would all say together, Amen, after the prayer. So we read in Acts chapter 1. These all, with one accord, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And of course, so much of the New Testament teaching has to do with praying for each other as fellow partakers of life in Messiah's kingdom. So we can say, as the eschatological people that you are, do you, do, you, do you take that name for yourself? Do you own it for yourself? If we do, and if you do, if I do, well then what are we going to be doing? If that's who I am, then I'm going to devote myself to these eschatological realities. I'm going to be faithfully earnestly attending to the prayers. Why do I come to church? Because because the prayers are happening. Because, Because that is to devote myself to the fellowship. We ought to be faithfully, earnestly attending to this expression of that fellowship we have now with one another in Christ. In short, I'm going to put it together now. As. You see the key word that that little two-letter word is. As the eschatological people that we are. And in today's church, here's the thing. The church today doesn't know that they're an eschatological people. They just don't know it. They're all, we're all oblivious to this fullness of this reality. And that leads to a lot of problems. But if we cannot be oblivious, if we can come to have our, every soul be filled with fear, a trembling awe, because we are an eschatological people living in eschatological times, well then, we will see that we ought to be faithfully and in your handout earnestly. It's not just about filling a seat in a pew, is it? Or a chair. We ought to be earnestly attending to these times, receiving the word that is preached to us, not as the word of men, but the very word of God, sharing together in the breaking of bread, which why, why we have this meal every Sunday, and engaging together in the prayers. 
It's our continual devotion to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship. Those two things, the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship, that is to be our defining mark. It's our mark. It's our characteristic as the end times community we are. As those who are even now participants in the final drama of redemptive history. We are participants in it. Let's live it out. May God then in your handout give us that same fear, that same sense of trembling awe that came upon every soul in Acts 2. May he cause us then to be always faithfully and earnestly attending upon these times as the eschatological people we are. May God graciously work in us this wholehearted obedience for his glory and our joy. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to see what the fellowship is. Let us, by your Holy Spirit, grasp the reality of the fact that we have a share in Jesus. We have a share in the Spirit, in the gospel itself, in the kingdom. And when we say we, we automatically recognize that if if I share in common with each of the rest in this room, in the same spiritual things, in the same Lord and Savior, in the same one Holy Spirit, if we have together fellowship with you, the triune God, then what does that mean exists now here in this room horizontally? Let us see what we have. And then let us do it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be continually devoting ourselves, therefore, first of all, to the breaking of bread. Which is that, that, that meal that, that, that celebrates and, and affirms the fellowship. Let us continually devote ourselves to the prayers each Sunday. So that even now, as we call upon your name together in the name of Jesus, that we are doing the fellowship, that we are doing it now together. Help us as we together even are devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, which is the very word of God, that we're doing the fellowship in that, that this time each Sunday is a doing of the fellowship and that we are earnestly, zealously devoted to it. Father, I pray that should there be anyone who doesn't have a common share in Jesus with us today, who is not made a part of the fellowship, may they come to be made a part of that today through faith in Jesus and the Spirit poured out upon them too, as he has been poured out upon us. Oh, thank you for these things. 
And let us, Lord, as we'll see, I know, in the coming weeks, let us live it not only through our devotion to these times, but in every other way, in every other part of our lives, even afterwards as we talk with one another. Thank you now that we can actually, we can come to this meal together. Let it, let it truly be uh, a fellowship of the body of Christ, a fellowship of the blood of Christ this morning. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.